Futurecast. On this episode of Missing the Point, we'll discuss the two major moves the Boston Celtics have made in the past week, from training Kemba Walker to the Oklahoma City Thunder and reacquiring Al Horford, to the reported hiring of Ime Hidoka to be the next Celtics head coach. We'll also discuss the current standings of both the Eastern and Western Conference Finals, and we'll also discuss Carl Nassib announcing that he is the first active player to announce that he is gay in the NFL. This is Missing the Point, episode 69, Nice! Welcome to Missing the Point, the only podcast left on the internet. Yep, you heard that right. Due to a very complicated malfunction at the World Internet Headquarters, every other podcast has been deleted from the internet. Even Rayshon's other podcast that he cheats on us with. So, we're all you've got left. We hope you like sports and nonsense. Don't, don't check, check, don't on, check other, on that. Don't, don't check on that. Please. Don't check on the other podcast. <laughs> yeah, just do what everyone else does and blindly listen to Talking Heads. <laughs> And stick around for the sports. Go fill your trash bags with gasoline and just stay right here. Today, we have a great show. And in what's rapidly becoming a rarity, as we book more and more outstanding guests like Bruins insider Kaylee Allard, who was with us earlier this week to wax lyrical about the fate of the bees. That link will be down in the show notes. But it's nice to be here with some of the original founding fathers of Missing the Point to talk sports. First up, we have Rayshon joining us tonight. Rayshon just back from Florida, making him the most intelligent thing to come out of the state of Florida since NASA lost its last shuttle. Ray, how you doing? I'm good, man. I'm ready to get going, man. This, this is, uh, I've been waiting to have this show and talk about it. It's been a few weeks since I've been on, so I'm ready to get cracking. That's because you were down in Florida with the dumb people. DK, we probably have, we probably <laughs> have a lot of from Florida. This is <laughs> DK Fizzle. Besides this, well, yeah, if they were a student of Ray's, they're going to learn pretty quick to move. It's north. okay. To, it's okay to say people in Florida are idiots. We're idiots. So, like, you know, sure. we're not sitting here going, we're the smartest people in the world. Come on in, Florida. Oh, yeah. Absolutely not. <laughs> notice a lot of the Florida man uh, stories have turned into Massachusetts man in Florida. So, we're not much smarter <laughs> up here. DK Sizzle is here itching to talk about basketball. In fact, I think he's just suffering from a flare-up of that thing that he caught from that Motel 6, that one that you went to, Dave, and he's probably yeah. just itching in general. So It's regular itching. It's not basketball. It's hawk itching. It's, and my doctor doesn't know what it is. They think it's some sort of staff thing. I don't know. You know, it's well, getting out of control. Staff? What the hell's wrong wait, with you? Wait, what's staff? Is staff bad? Is staff and bad? Last- it, it, well, wait, and wait lastly, no, I meant uh, I'm wait, is staff bad? Why is that a bad one? Staff's not good. It's oh strep. No, no, what was I thinking? Strep throat. What the uh, hell happened? What does that poison poison do to you? Poison ivy? What did you I don't know. I couldn't think of one. Jesus. Finally, is the a doctor hey Bob Kelly? He's about to be someone's dad. And as we announced recently, uh, as we announced recently, so I thought I'd hit him with some dad jokes. All right, Bobby, you ready? Don't laugh. My son asked me recently if I got a haircut. I told him I didn't. I got them all cut. All right, last one. Bobby, did you know the original name for the umbrella was just Brella, but the dude that named it hesitated? Oh, wait, hang on. All right, no, you're right. Last one. Last one. Did you hear about the dad running around his, his household in a screwdriver yelling, this is not a drill? Welcome to Missing the Point. And tonight we're going to talk about the NBA because there's a lot to talk about in the NBA. 
And the first thing we're going to talk about is daddy. (laughs) The first thing we're going to talk about is GM Willikers, Brad Stevens, who is now the president of basketball operations for the Boston Celtics. And he made his first trade as the president of basketball operations. And I think he took some notes from the old uh, black book of Danny Ainge with this one, as he trades Kemba Walker away, actually, maybe he didn't because based on this trade that he got done involving Kemba, he probably would have got a deal done with Gordon Hayward, but that's besides the point. So let's take a look at this trade guys as the, um, Boston Celtics trade away Kemba Walker, who spent two seasons with the team. They trade the 16th overall pick in this year's draft and a 2025 second rounder to Oklahoma City and get back Al Horford, whose wife is one of Boston fans' favorites wags. Moses Brown, who I think we're all excited about, and a 2023 second round pick. Ray, what do you think? I, I love the move, honestly. Um, you know, people forget you know, people were upset about Horford leaving more so than Kyrie in 2019. I mean, I, I probably was maybe equally upset about them both leaving, but, you know, Horford was a great character guy. Now, yes, did, did he underperform for someone that was getting to 112? Yes, because I think people thought he was going to come in here getting 20 and 10, but I'm like, he only did it. He only did that a couple of years in Atlanta and it wasn't even 20 and 10. It was like 18 and nine, 17 and nine. And, you know, I mean, and this is, I mean, this is not a knock on him, but he really is a poor man's Tim Duncan, right? You know, he's quiet like Tim, you know, he could shoot it. He could pass it. You know, he could do everything that Tim does, but just not at the level that Tim Duncan was doing it right so but any, anytime that you're you know setting the same brothers tim duncan you know you should be given uh, you know you, sh- you should be okay with that i should say but yeah i love it from a character standpoint you know he's someone that still stretches the floor you know obviously you know tatum and brown respect him and the rest of the team's gonna respect them so you know that that part's great most of brown as you said in your opening statement about the trade joe listen man the dude had 21 and 23 against us earlier in the season and he had some other games against chicago and some other teams where he got 20 and 18 so it wasn't just against the celtics the guy's seven two and you know you know you can't teach height you, you you just can't and you can't teach hustle which is something he has which is something this team needs so to get horford back you're basically giving the 16th pick for moses brown that's literally what happened so overall i like the move and i'm excited to see what both of them do now that they're here in boston dave adding on to the same question of what do you think of the trade and and to build off of what rayshon said i want to add in a part to this of do you think that the boston celtics organization and us as fans overvalued Kemba Walker when he was signed? I mean, I think the the organization did because you've always overvalued whoever's contract you're complaining about the most. (laughs) And the the contract we were complaining about the most as a fan base was Kemba's in the offseason because we all came to the realization that we had absolutely no cap space. So we needed to move Kemba Walker on. That was like basically the only move that was going to maybe smart also, but Moving Kemba's contract was was a basically a necessity. It obviously wasn't working out. There was rumors of him not being satisfied with being tried, being shopped around after the bubble playoffs. We know how Danny is with like weird injuries, like how he was with Isaiah, where it's like he's just going to try and get an injury liability off the books as fast as possible. As far as what we got back, I completely second everything Rayshon said. I think there's been an Al Horford shaped hole in this in this team since he left. I think. Yeah, I was upset that he left, but I rationalized it with like, well, we're not going to pay him with Philadelphia's going to pay him. And I'm glad we didn't have to eat the contract that Philadelphia had to eat uh, for for Al because that would have sucked. We could have done a lot of the things we did 
you know, over the past few years, if we were carrying like an, an aging Al Horford, when he, when he goes into next season, like not the season we're coming into, but when he goes into the following season, I think he, his contract like does one of those weird NBA downgrades and we can all of a sudden like have a shitload of cap space for, yeah, exactly. So like we can all of a sudden have a, sh- have a shitload of cap space for like, what is a better free agency than the one we're coming into? So, you know, overall, I give the grade, I, I give the, the trade a high grade for that reason. Um, also very up on Moses Malone, because as you know, I've been banging the fucking drum of trying to get a guy exactly like him for a good year. And I was devastated. I'm sure we all were when we didn't get Miles Turner. I was angry at Danny Ainge when we didn't get Miles Turner when it turned out that he did get a little greedy with that trade. I think this is a straightforward trade. I think it benefits both teams in different ways. And I think I'm just, I am actually very happy with Moses Brown because like Ray said, he's 7-2 and he's all upside. And his last game against the Clippers, he had seven blocks. I know the Clippers were like resting guys, but one game, seven blocks, like that's absolutely out of this world. And if he's as good or even 75% as good as we think he is, you can move Rob Williams. You can move him now. So, you know, all upside as far as I'm concerned. I hope they're not done. I hope there's more to do, but yeah, all upside for me. Yeah, Bobby, you get back a a known commodity here in Boston and Al Horford, someone that we like who he apparently likes it here because that's really all he's been saying since he got traded back to Boston. And you get Moses Brown, who was born in 1999, which makes me feel really old. He's 21 (laughs) years old. He went to UCLA and he's had a great start to his career. And something I really like about uh, him is that he is playing He played valuable minutes for OKC this season. And that means a lot coming from a guy that is 7'2", because we've seen a lot of big men that are over seven feet that have his build that do not last very long. Preach, preach, Malcolm, preach, sir. I'd also like to add on to Ray's point, though, is and and the point you're making right now is if you go back and look at all the drafts, which I think we're going to do a little bit later when we talk about the Sixers, if you go back and look at all the drafts the past like six, seven years, there's like one or two guys that stand out after the 16th pick. So like if when you're training the 16th pick, like that's a that's the 16th pick is a stash for to include with incentives with another deal. That's what that is. Like Donovan Mitchell was like the closest one, I think of the last like six years. So that you're rarely going to find an absolute gem. I think, you know what you're getting with Moses Brown. And I think that, that, I think they turn that pick into value. Yeah. So, so Bobby to, to that end, what, how do you see this trade from your standpoint? I think we've kind of beat, beat this one to the ground, but bringing back Al Horford and having Moses Brown. Now you have a leader and you have a young guy, a big young guy. Yeah. How do you feel about it? So, so three specific points on this trade of why I love it. First is you, you see the quote about Brad uh, from Brad. As soon as he brought Al back in is Al played a critical role, both on and off the court during his time in Boston. We're excited to welcome him and his family back. His ability to elevate team at teammates and his experience and leadership make a great addition. So instantly you have a guy coming in here last year. One of the biggest problems we all saw was effort and defense. He automatically brings such a big presence on the defensive side of the ball and in the locker room. That alone makes it a great trade. But when you look at the Celtics last year, they were top 10 in isolations. Another thing Al Horford can do is he is a master from the top of the key with the ball, man. He's such a good passing big man. And to add that into our offense and taking away someone who's ball dependent, it brings the trade to another level for me. Like I really feel like Al Horford also has been stuck in basketball hell for two years, man. 
We saw what happened with Blake Griffin. As soon as he got out of basketball hell and went to the Nets and was on a winning team again, it was Blake all over again. I absolutely see something coming like that from Al this year. You know what I mean? He just went from Philly, where he was in the worst possible situation for him. And then he goes to OKC, where it's just garbage. They literally sat him down for the last month because they're like, whoa, Al, you're playing too well. We need to lose some goddamn games, bro. And they sat him down. So, like, elevating that, to me, it, it just, it's an A+. Plus. I love yeah. it. I mean, yeah, he, he definitely showed flashes of the OL still in OKC last year. Which that that's encouraging to me because you know sometimes you know I think you know as he looked like an aging star in Philly he just did but it wasn't it really because he wasn't aging it was that they didn't know how to use him against the NBA they played him so yeah, that, that was such yeah. a bad basketball situation when they brought him that's that's pretty much the reason Elton Brand lost they just him. signed him so we couldn't have him which is so cruel to the player that's so shitty to the player to do that you know like that's say I mean sure but I mean I'm not going to sit here and cry about a man getting 109 million dollars. No, I know you can say that about everything we talk about, though. <laughs> no, no, I'm saying, and I'm saying in that regard because it was like, oh, you know, because Philly was killing him. Oh, I'm glad he got paid. I'm glad he's, he got he's, paid he's old. No, I'm saying this is what Philly fans were saying before they signed him. Oh uh, man, you know, oh Alice Wars, oh you y'all Celtics fans overvalue every player on the team, blah blah blah. blah. And as soon as they signed him, oh, we got Big Al, let's go, da da da. da. And then Philly fans turn on him very quickly because that's, that's what they do. You know, they're incompetent fans too. But like I said, either way, like the trade was a win-win. Um, on both sides, in, in my opinion, I do. I did want to touch on a question that Joe asked, though. I don't think we overvalued Kemba's contract. I just think, obviously, it was a. I mean, I guess. I mean, high size twenty twenty. I guess you could say it was a. You know, as, as I put in air quotes, a panning move by Danny Age. You know, you couldn't lose. You know, Kyrie and Horford, and not get some type of max player in here. And Kemba Walker just happened to be the best guy available, not just from a talent standpoint, but also from a character standpoint. Uh, so he came in as a character guy. You know, I mean, we were excited, right? We talked about man. You know, sure. we got four guys coming in, playing for USA. They're going to get the chemistry together, which is something they didn't have in the 2018, 2019 year. You know, and so that they had that right away, right? And like I said, Kemba was an all-star his first year here. We forget that, right, because of what happened with the mm-hmm. pandemic. Kemba was an all-star. Yes, he shouldn't have played in Chicago. We get that for the all-star game. Maybe he should have played maybe five or six minutes and, and then sit down. But he was still an all-star. Um, he, he was still, you know, playing very well uh, uh, next to the Jays. But then, like I said, his health just went south very quickly, right? So that's what happened. But Celtics fans, as you listen to this, I want you to hear me, Dave, Joe, um, and Bobby clearly we were not going to have a Gordon Hayward 2.0 situation, Celtics fans. And if you think so, you're out of your mind. We were not going to have that situation again where we're going to keep holding on, just see what he can do, see what he can do, see what he can do. And then he leaves after year three or whatever situation it may be. So they weren't, they got something for Kemba. Brad did a good job with that. It's cool. Because people say, oh, but they didn't save that much money. They saved $9 million. Yeah. But what are we talking about? Like, that's that's a lot of money. Sure. And that's what we're going to yeah. talk about now, because one thing to, to add to what you said is that the, the Boston Celtics fan base is the <laughs> most forgiving fan base, probably in most of the NBA, at least for the big market teams. And it's definitely the most forgiving in the city of Boston. Uh, yeah, I'm like, I, don't, I don't know about that. Yeah, that's <laughs> Oh, I think they're absolutely fans like me. Yes, we're the most forgiving fan base in the world. But there's also a whole Celtics Twitter out there that just oh, bro, it, the it's, dark it's, Twitter. It's it's, it's oh the most savage. Like there's nothing that can be done right to Celtics Twitter. Even Emmy Adoka, I saw people trashing that hiring, which we'll get to. But like, there's nothing that people can do right. 
let's talk about the salary cap because Al Horford comes in his his salary for next year is twenty seven million. However, only fourteen and a half of that is guaranteed. Nineteen and a half uh, if they get to the NBA Finals the uh, next year, and then in 2020, 2023, he what's left is fully guaranteed if the team wins the NBA championship. Now. That was his part of his contract with OKC. So, guys, looking at this, and Ray mentioned it, we saved nine. We I say we. The Celtics saved nine million dollars, or open up nine million dollars of cap space with that. They get their big man. They bring in Al Horford, who we've said, you know, he's not going to be the third of a big three with Tatum and Brown. What about Al Horford as a sixth man, though? I think that's a well, he could win. He could win sixth man of the year. <laughs> you know. Well, Dave, I'll, I'll throw this question towards you because I know you've wanted them to sign back Evan Fournier. And so let's talk about some moves, some out moves that they have to make. And I'm not talking about who they're going to bring in, but who who else can they take off this roster or, or ship away to open up more space? And who would you be comfortable with shipping off? So I, so I wanted to not take the Evan Fournier contract before we made the trade because uh, it's like, I think, 16 million, but it's only for it's only a uh, one year. Right. It's a one year like option or whatever that we inherited for him. So now I'm thinking to myself, like, I think we can we might actually be able to compete. And I think that we actually have to shop more pieces. So I think the reason I want Evan Fournier is and I know if we, I mean, talking about Celtics Twitter, it's the, the fucking the room is split on Evan Fournier. I understand this is a this is a you got to be careful with this position because people feel very strongly one way or the other about him. But I think. With the makeup of what I'm picturing the team could be going into next season, even though I know we're lining up for a big free agent signing two seasons from now, like that seems to be the clear plan, which I'm totally cool with. They've abandoned the idea of like finding a gem in the draft, which is I'm totally cool with that. Like we did, we got our draft pieces. We got Jalen and we got Jason. Those are the two draft pieces you got to build around. You got to go find somebody in the free agency market. I think they should shop Marcus Smart. I know it's a sin to say that in Boston, but I've been saying it to you guys for weeks. And I think that they should shop Rob Williams while he still has value. There are some notable free agents also that you could continue to build this season, like Alonzo Ball type. But I think he's actually going to demand higher money than we should probably sensibly pay. It's in, in a dream world, I think yeah, it'd be great to have Alonzo Ball run the point. But I've been maintaining that this set of wings doesn't play as well with a guard as it does with a good playmaking big man. So, and I think we're going to see that because they learned without Horford. Their first seasons together were without Horford. It, the way that they stretch the floor, the way that they move, waiting on a guard to get open or and or make space or drive like the way Kemba played and then trying to dish to them is not the way that they play. They need the ball for more clock time. They than play that. inside out. Yeah, they play inside out. They need yeah. ball. They need the ball for more clock time than that. And that's a lot of what didn't work. I think you'll, as much as Al Horford might be a not the same Al Horford, you'll see a lot of those connections like come back up, and then you can start to build from there. Then you can go and get cheaper guards. We've had cheap. We've had a cheap front court for the past few seasons and like the signings of, of Tristan Thompson and stuff is just, it's not, you know, it's like, have you ever seen those memes where it's like, Oh, the, the couch I ordered the couch that came from wish.com. And it's like, this is what it had in the picture. It's like, if you have like a Tim Duncan in the picture, but then it's like all blurry and then you unblur it and it's like, Oh, it's Tristan Thompson. God, he's terrible. And it's, it's like, I know he had good games and I know that he, like on the offensive boards, he was good against Brooklyn, which was strange that Milwaukee didn't take even more advantage of that after we showed them how easy it was to do, but that's a completely different conversation. But Al's obviously that guy. Now you got to get rid of Tristan. I think so it, those the, the basically overall to answer your question, the way that we should chop and change is I think we should cheapen the front with the, the, the backcourt in favor of the front court. 
We should build around the two pieces that we just got traded in. That would be my preference. I don't want to overspend on Lonzo Ball, even though I'd love to have him. I think you could have Peyton Pritchard play point guard. I know that's crazy because he's so young, but like, book it. You know what I mean? Like, next year is not like a championship run. Let's play off of that right now. So, again, we're not talking about what they're going to bring in because let's not speculate because we'll get into why we don't want to speculate because we were completely off on the head coach. So, let's let's go. Actually, I did mention him. You did. let's, Let's go into the salaries of the two guys that you just mentioned, Marcus Smart and Rob Williams. That's a little over $14 million right there just between those two guys. Marcus Smart is making 12.9. Rob Williams is making uh, 2.029 million. Tristan Thompson is 9.2. If you can, and I'm with you on Marcus Smart, though it seems taboo to, to say let's get rid of Marcus Smart because Brad loves Marcus Smart. Danny loved Marcus Smart. So let, let's see what. Udoka wants to do with smart. I think that's part of the reason. Well, we'll get into that, but I'll, I'll just tease it by saying, I think that's part of the reason why the Celtics jumped at hiring the head coach. The first of the seven franchises that didn't have a head coach. I think that's part of the reason why they jumped at it to give him enough time to evaluate the players, whether it's personal or on, on the court to give him an idea of what they have, because Peyton Pritchard can probably play the point at, and he's making $2 million. So I know I was the one that said it about Peyton Pritchard, but I actually don't really think that before, before we get off the topic though, Bobby wanted to say something about time Lord. Cause I know we're going to move on to the coach. So, so one thing with time Lord is I've been saying this for a while to you guys is listen, I, I know this sounds like a pun waiting to happen, but listen, the time to move on from Time Lord is right <laughs> now. I'm just saying because this dude is the most injury prune, prone center I've seen. Injury like, prune. Oh, injury prune. We made up a new word for him. That's how injury prune he really uh, is. No, the injury prunes out. Yeah. <laughs> if you don't move on he from this. spends too guy. much time in the ice bath. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if, pretty, pretty much. What's how, so if you don't move on from this dude right now, Like, this is the time, man. If you're ever going to get value for Robert Williams is right now because he is one turf toe away from missing another 54 games. There's always injuries like that. And honestly, like, it is always injuries like that. It's not like, oh, he tore his ACL. It's like, ah, he's like, his kneecap hurts kind of. He has, yeah, he has a strained knee. You're like, bro, what? He might be kind of soft. Like, so it's just a matter of time before he loses every significant value he has. Ray, do you agree with me that, that it's redundant to keep him? Because I saw you have a reaction when I said that. Is it redundant to keep him now that we have Moses Brown? Do they do the same thing? Except for inexplicably, Rob Williams is like six nine. Well, I mean, it's, it's, I think it was definitely was time blowing insurance, and I think that's what that's what Brad Stevens was thinking about. I mean, Brad had been saying from the jump that you know, hey, you know, we're trying to manage time Lord's minutes, and you know, just making sure that you know he's healthy as possible when we need him to be, you know, need him to give his best when his best is required. But how long can we do that? You know what I mean? How long can we be like, oh, we're making sure he's healthy? Well, it's just like, I mean, what I saw in game one, you know, when he had nine blocks, it's like, that's what keeps people like, in, like you know, like us in tights. It's like, oh, my God, like, this man got nine blocks in the game. Robert Williams' is ceiling. We've been talking about it for years at this point. It's a great fantasy. Right. That's what keeps people engaged when it comes to him. But like you said, yeah, you got to sell high, right? But, I mean, to have Thompson, you know, Thompson, Time Lord, you know, Horford and I mean, I don't know who I think I they keep in coordinate. I don't know if they keep in coordinate or not, but I don't think so. They don't have to, right? They can just, right? Yeah, exactly. But yeah. yeah, exactly. So it's just like, I don't know what they're going to do. I mean, to me, I think they need to kind of play, you know, do like a, you know, like a platoon system. I feel like you got to keep all, all those guys there. 
be only be only because you're, you're guys are going to miss games. So you, you to me, you have to keep them there in order to like okay, if you know Rob's going to miss fifteen to twenty, then okay, that's when Horford will start. If Horford needs to rest on a back to back because they're not going to play him more than thirty minutes, then that's when Time Lord or that's where uh, that's where Tristan Thompson can start. So you know you need each of those guys because uh, like like I think Scout said it on, on on one of the I think one of the earlier edition shows uh, Horford at this stage and even Rob Williams they're not doing nothing with Embiid. Not right now. That ain't happening. If you face it beating the there's playoffs, much, there's, yeah, there's two. He's gonna be too much for both of them. Yeah, that's not how you beat the Sixers anyway. Right. There's a lot of different ways. <laughs> <laughs> true, true. Um, but it's just like you know, he seemed to figure it out. Is, is what I'm saying. So, but to that point, to that point, Ray, and like to also back to Joe's question, like what you know, the ins and outs of the off season. Everybody's in this mode and this mindset, not us, because we're like, you know, way ahead of the curve as we are here talking about sports on a podcast, a wildly, wildly popular podcast where, you know, we don't have to do it right away. It's 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 the Twitter verse that wants you to do it right away. You got all the way up until the trade deadline to see how guys are doing, like what's he doing? How's he you know, going on? Yes, I agree that we don't want to like lose Robert Williams value, but I would argue that you could actually create value with Robert Williams based on what you're saying, right? Where it's like, you could actually shop him as a really good regular season player, knowing that like, you can't use him in the fucking postseason because Embiid's just going to eat him alive. And so is Giannis. So you're just like, ah, like shop window, huh? Look how good he is in the regular season. We kept him healthy. We kept him And healthy. especially if you, man- yeah, if you manage his minutes and keep him at that high level for a significant yeah. amount of time, I completely see what you're saying. Get, get Marcus Smart's like three point percentage up to where we know it can be before it inevitably slumps back down because of like ludicrous isolation plays. Just be like, look, look, his three point percentage has improved. Do you guys want him? Because we know deep down they're not the guys. So real quick about Marcus before I, I have the question. Do you think so as much as I, I would love to move on from Marcus because I'm sick of all of it? Putting him in a different situation where he is responsible as a point guard and isn't going to be put in a situation to have these heat checks as much as he does. Do you think that I I just watching him play basketball all these years, I feel like he has the basketball intelligence and ability to change who he is as a player. If a coach puts him in that situation, it's like, listen, you're a starting point guard. Your job isn't to shoot anymore. This is the other half of Celtics Twitter that we were talking about. <laughs> the Marcus Smart can do anything half. <laughs> so what do you guys agree with? That's my question. It's such an ugly offense. It's such an ugly offense. If if we do that, it's it just doesn't look good. I, I'll answer that, though. And then, like I said, I know Joe has to move on. But we've seen that, though. We've seen him when he's been the starting point guard. Like I think a couple of years ago when they had that tumultuous season with them losing to Milwaukee. When they put Smart into that starting lineup, and they, they were like 10 to 10, and they went eight in a row because he was the guy handling the ball, not Kyrie. They was on fire because it was like, okay. Mitigating Tatum, Tatum, Yeah, Tatum, Tatum, you get here. Uh, Brown, you're here. Kyrie, like, he, he knows how to maestro when he needs to, but it just it doesn't happen enough. But he's by far the best playmaker on the team. He's, he's by far, it's not even close, but yeah. Tatum and Brown got to get there. That's the thing. It's not a Marcus Smart thing. I think you saw flashes. I think you saw flashes of Jason Tatum becoming the best playmaker on the team, but yes. Right, but I'm, I'm right. But, I'm saying, but it can no longer be flashes. It has to be something where we see it on a, on a nightly basis. So I um, I'll leave it at that so Joe can move on to the next one. I don't like the idea of Marcus Smart at the point. I really don't, but that's just me. One thing, one thing we've learned here in Boston over the last couple of seasons is that you do, in fact, need a coach in the NBA. And up until today, the Celtics didn't have one for a couple of weeks. 
And and now they have one around the NBA. And I know that we have in our show notes here talking about Rick Carlisle ending up going to Indiana. And we'll talk about that as well. Chauncey Billups and Becky Hammond had second interviews with the Portland Trailblazers. And some other coaches are, are being looked at elsewhere. Not too much talk about Sam Cassell, who we all kind of had as our one of our top two or three candidates to come here to Boston. So they made the hiring. They announced it on the 23rd of June. And it's Ime Udoka, who is up until or up until this season was an assistant with the Brooklyn Nets. He spent a year with Philadelphia and he spent seven years uh, with San Antonio. So he, he's got a, a lot of years of assistant experience, which is something that we talked about when it came to Chauncey Billups. And then we looked at Sam Cassell and how many years he had as an assistant and there was rumors going around that they wanted a head coach that head coach experience. They go with one who doesn't. And here's a little bit about Ime Udoka, who is a very interesting candidate and an interesting hire. He's 43 years old. He's from Portland, Oregon. He's of American and Nigerian descent. And he went to the University of San Francisco and Portland State University. He came out of college in 2000, went undrafted. He played. Are you just going to read us his Wikipedia? Let's talk about how. Let's talk about how he was Greg Popovich's fucking disciple. That's the important part. We're going to. We're going to. I'm going to show where he went to grade school. (laughs) We're going to get there. (laughs) He played. He played eight seasons in the NBA, including three. Excuse me, four. Greg Popovich. So now, Dave, stepping all over my intro to what's Greg his Popovich. blood type? I don't know because I was going to start talking about him being a Greg Popovich. What's disciple. his favorite candy but, bar? But here, here you are, just stepping all over my intro to it. Jeez, my, I hope he doesn't do this to Brad Stevens when he's up top talking about what players to bring in. So Ime Udoka, a disciple of Greg Popovich, one one of the two disciples of Greg Popovich that could have been head coaches of the Boston Celtics. But Dave, what do you think of the hiring of Ime Udoka? Whoever Greg Popovich wants to send our way, I'll take. He's the, in my opinion, best um, head coach in the history of basketball. I think the reason that Greg Popovich is good, Greg Popovich's teams were good, were because of Greg Popovich. (laughs) I think he was a great talent. I had a great eye for talent, but he could also do a lot with a little And that makes me think he knows a lot of shit about the game of basketball. So if you worked for him, I think that you are probably a pretty smart guy. He also doesn't seem to suffer fools, Greg Popovich. He doesn't really seem to keep idiots around uh, very long. And I think like if you're going to work for this guy for that long, I think that's awesome. So he's young. Like you said, he's 43. So we got a good young GM head coach relationship, fresh blood. And I Back. think players are going to want to come to play for him. And I think the, the biggest thing is that we got him because Jalen and Jason and Marcus wanted him because they played under him in that America plays basketball with countries that don't tournament that they did. So that they, they're going to like him. They're going to like and respect him. So they're going to do what the fuck he says, which has been a problem for the past 12 months. So I think it's a great hire. I think it's, you know, despite his lack of experience, I think he's a, a high um, value prospect in the coaching world in the NBA. And I think he's a great hire. I'm happy with it. Yeah. Ray, what are your thoughts on the hiring of Ime Udoka? Definitely had mixed mixed feelings. I think from a culture standpoint, it makes sense. They took him uh, to uh, we could go uh, saying, uh, hey, you know, uh, random uh, fact, you know, you know, out of seven coaches, 
uh, that are black, you know, four of them are in, you know, still in the playoffs. And, you know, so clearly it meant something to him, right, to have an African-American coach in, you know, at the helm. So we get it out of the way. Um, where I have my reservations. Oh, sorry. Another positive. Shout out shout out to the fact that he's with Nia Long. She is beautiful. But as far as the uh, the reservations I have, you know, Pop is the Belichick of, of the NBA. And you can't name a disciple of him that's done well. Like that doesn't necessarily mean he won't. So, so let me finish. Let me let me let me, let me finish. But Mr. Semi Clark, played under you. him too. As I yeah, was saying, <laughs> Quinn Snyder hasn't got. Well, I mean, it hasn't got to a conference final. Brett Brown hasn't got to a conference final. Budenholzer has has lost in in, in, in conference final. Yeah, you know, yeah. So that's right. So that's what I'm saying. <laughs> so it's like you got him, Mike Brown. <clears throat> excuse me, got swept in the NBA final. So it's like th- these guys don't produce usually now. Can, are we hoping for him to be a, a Brian Flores? <coughs> Hopefully, that'd be great. But we don't know that right now. So it's awesome that he got the hire. Once again, he, he paid his dues. He was assistant coach for nine years. Yes, I think most of us wanted Cassell. I think we all talked about it. But listen, nine years, he paid his dues. Actually, he was the bottom of the barrel type player. He wasn't someone that was a star. Which usually make for better coaches anyway. Right, yeah, exactly. So I, I think that's where it is. You know, you see the game differently. You know, he's able to relate to guys. So I, and Al Horford during this presser, I <laughs> said, as, as you know, as we record this on a Wednesday, you know, he talked about how, you know, you know, Yudoka, you know, he commands respect, right? And, you know, I was joking with someone about, you know, this, you know, a numerology type thing. So obviously we're looking for Ben 18. Yudoka is the 18th coach in, in our history. So to me, it's time. I feel this is a very, this is a this is a, a Bobby type line. So I'm just gonna say it. I'm sure he'll agree. So I think when when we win the title, it goes from Mbutu to Adoka. <laughs> <laughs> we already got the name for the book. That's the name for the book about the past ten years. Oh, I love it. Yes, you're right. The stars are aligning. That matters. You just see the stars align over a coaching choice, and also very impressive that you went from. Mixed feelings, I don't know. None of those guys to like, welcome to the era. <laughs> welcome now. <laughs> what's interesting, what's interesting about your comparison to to between Popovich and Belichick is that you mentioned all the these disciples of Pop that went on and they haven't done anything. And same thing with Belichick. Sure. But here's the difference. I'll give you one guy, Mike Vrabel, who is doing well, arguably better than Brian Flores. Now well, he, had, three, he he did well. But he played under him. He didn't coach. Sure. So did Udoka. Udoka played under Popovich. So that's where I'm going to go with that. I'm going to say he did. Both. I mean, no. I, I mean, <laughs> just, I, I, I want. I want to be wrong. Obviously, so right. I, but I'm saying you know. But we'll, we'll see. We'll see. Let's get so two things I I want to bring up, and and one's kind of poking fun at Jay Williams, and and one is taking a, a one is taking a serious serious asking a serious question. But first, let's talk about Jay Williams because th- this kind of gets back into the. I'll just say it, the black and white of sports and the black and white of our society right now is that Jay Williams comes out and says, he tweets out, which I don't even want to get into the tweet that he tweeted out I don't even know about this. What happened here? So Jay Williams, Jay Jay Williams (laughs) responded to Woj's tweet about the Celtics hiring Udoka. And he said the first head coach of color for the Celtics and then a, a black fist emoji. And even more importantly, Doc Rivers. Hang on, <laughs> like, he's one like talented individual. So right, so you you talk about Jay Williams, and now to me and and Ray, you can follow this up. To me, this is someone just jumping on an opportunity 
thinking they're doing something, right? We see this all the time. We see it on social media everywhere where people are taking these stances and thinking they're doing something. So I want to read you this uh, excerpt from uh, boston.com, which the, the columnist writes, Udoka is not the first head coach of color for the Celtics. In 1966, Bill Russell was promoted to player coach, becoming the first black head coach of an NBA team. Russell won a pair of titles in 1968 and 69. Did Jay Williams not have Google? Tom Sach Sanders coached the team in 1978. Casey Jones won two titles as well in 84 and 86, under friend of the show Jan Volk as the general manager. ML Carr coached from 1995 to 1997. ML Carr was also part of that front office with Jan Volk in the 80s. Doc Rivers spent 2004 to 2013 in Boston and led the Celtics to a 2008 title, making Udoka the sixth black head coach in the history of the Boston Celtics and the 18th overall. So, Ray, go ahead. So, so it must be that Duke education, right? Wait, to make it worse, can I, can I add something on to that? To make it worse, not only did he do that, but then he also decided to put out another tweet saying that it wasn't his bad. He didn't make a mistake. His Twitter account got hacked and posted a fact. And instead of something horrible on Twitter, they just posted a wrong fact. Nobody believes my tri- my Twitter account. Nobody believes that my Twitter account got hacked thing anymore. <laughs> you can't use that one. It's like the dog ate my homework. It just doesn't it's, work. Yeah, I, I, I don't, I don't know. I, I mean, and I tweeted something about it yesterday. I said, "Yo, it's just, it's just really, it's, it's ridiculous that he even went this route." But th- this is where, and I'm talking about Sean, the Sean Kings of the world, not the guy that played for Tampa. I'm talking about the one that thinks that he's. Nice. That, that he's he's a, he's a new black guy, but I'm, once again, we're, going, we're not going to get political tonight. I'm, I'm a chill. To me, it's just like, bro, like you you have to know better. Like once again, Jay, you was born in the '80s, my guy. It wasn't like you was, you know, you you're this new millennial that didn't know that they didn't have a coach before that. Like, and even then, once again, Dave said it best. Google, Google is your friend, sir. Like, how do you not know? Once again, and, and my thing is, you've been a part of special where they've talked about Russ, Bill Russell. They've talked about Sat Sanders. They've talked about Emma Carly. They've talked about, especially Casey Jones, because he was, he was, he was, I just, I mean, Doc Rivers was just a second ago. <laughs> Doc, Doc Rivers was just. Doug Rivers won a championship here. Like, like but Brad Stevens replaced a black coach. Right. Yeah, exactly. Right. They, right. You don't even need Google. You just need to have been watching basketball for the right. past 10 years. Yeah, you, you shouldn't even need Google. You should just need like a TV. So no, you know, Bobby, not to stray away from sports, but this is what happens when what I said in, in the open where people blindly listen to talking heads, they don't actually do their own looking up and their own research to see. They just hear what Kyrie Irving said three weeks ago. What was the over under on Joe mentioning Kyrie Irving? I feel like we, I feel like it's the over. <laughs> you did good this time. That took a while. <laughs> but right. So I'm going to go to Ray here, but like we look at this situation and it really is just someone hearing something and thinking that's what it is that he's automatically because Boston, which we've, we talked about this on a previous show, the Boston was painted in a very racist light, which it is a race. It has a history of issues and race relations. The 1971 busing issue there, there's so many problems in this city that our teams uh, we've had players in the past, Kyrie Irving talking about Boston, the way he did, he's not the first one to do that. Barry Bonds refused to come and play for Boston. There was a chance for Barry Bonds, Tory Hunter, Hunter, which I'm still mad at the city of Boston, or at least the fans that were 
attacking Tory. I mean, Tory Hunter is one of the nicest guys in the world, and he and he's an incredible player. So, what do you anyway? Beside before getting into that, so so this isn't a new issue, but it, it's one that seems to be rehashed, Ray, and it's one that seems to not erase history, but people forget about the history, whether good or bad. Right. But, but it's, it's, this is not what the Celtics, like Chuck Cooper was the first black player and guess who drafted him? The Celtics in 1950, like Red Arbor put on the best product. It didn't matter if he was black, white, Latino, Asian. It didn't matter if you could play your ass was going to be on the court. And, and those dusty ass Chuck Taylors, they were playing it like you were going to be out there playing if you produced. That's what he did. There's a reason why like I said his success was tied to Bill to Bill Russell, which is why he said, hey, listen, I'm done. I'm going to step down. You take over. You're, you're the man here. You're the reason why that we've had success. And it's funny. Bill Russell also went to USF as well. He went to the University of San Francisco as well. Won national title there, too. So it all it all comes back together. Right. But it's crazy, though. And like I said, Jay Williams and, and it's not just there's plenty of Jay Williams out there who just want to you know keep inciting about what the city does and doesn't do listen the jim rice stuff is very real the adam jones stuff was very real bill russell um, stuff is but very yeah but the bill russell stuff is very real but once again and i said this on another segment i did on, on a different show but Kyrie urban did not experience what those guys experienced there i'm sorry like the worst thing he experienced would happen at the end of that game which is someone threw a water bottle you can't you right yeah of course of course not right that was ridiculous so i'm glad that, that person got taken took care of but you you don't <laughs> You don't come in there and say, hey, you know, I'm going to stay here for another year, and this is a place that you can't stand. That's, that's, that's BS. Come on. Come on. He said, he, he's, 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 he, like, like I said, I don't want to keep rehashing it, but he, he said that so he didn't want to get booed. That, that's all it was. It wasn't about, oh, you made a, a, a semi-true statement just so you could get the heat off you. But it's like, yo, come, come on. Come on. He had been putting that off for a year and a half, too. So it's not like something. Yeah, but just you, you, he, he could have just kept burning the stage to sit your ass down. Like, it's not yeah, that right, deep, bro. That, but that's the point that deep. making is why wait a year and a half till you're playing the Celtics in the playoffs and not say it when you walked out the door. He refused to play in the garden before COVID happened, and he would not play in the garden. And then all of a sudden he comes back. When, and and he starts up this whole new storyline like he hasn't been in the building. He hasn't been in the building because he made those decisions not to play in front of the fans of Boston and then didn't have a choice when it happened in the playoffs. But he could play in the preseason and the regular season at the beginning of the 2020-2021 season because nobody was allowed in the building. So he didn't give a shit then. But then all of a sudden, he's got to take the heat off himself. So, yeah, it, like, like he, you're absolutely right, Ray, right? He brought up something that was that, that's true, not false statements, but also something he didn't experience. And the most experience he had was something that one of them experienced was when he sat down with Bill Russell and Bill Russell told him exactly what happened in, to his home, which is still a, a travesty and the people that... that. Can I just actually, if we're going to go back to Odogu, can I do one Kyrie thing? I think we give Kyrie entirely too much fucking bandwidth in the city of Boston. Like, it's if, if that was your girlfriend and you guys broke up and you got, and we all talked this much about the fucking girl that like left us, they people would be like, that's fucking sad. You need to get over it. It's over. The Kyrie's gone. He's he shouldn't be able to get a rise out of us like he was able to get out of us as a fan base. We should be like, dude, Kyrie, we're bigger. The Boston Celtics are bigger than Kyrie Irving. Every time he can get us get get in the headlines about talking about the city of Boston. And I agree that it's dumb and wrong. And I agree that what Jay Williams said was dumb and wrong. But anytime he can get in the headlines talking about us, stomping on lucky, getting us all riled up. Collectively, as a fan base, we need to appreciate that the Celtics are huge and Kyrie Irving is tiny. 
and we need to just get he's living rent free in our heads. You guys, we got to get him out. We got to get him out. Can I, I Ray? I want to I want to ask you a, a question and kind of transcend sports and and Ray and some of these things. But do you we Dave just mentioned it mentioned Kyrie stepping on the logo, Lucky the Leprechaun at the center court at the Garden. Do you feel as though taking out the history of the Celtics, because I, I think I know what your answer is going to be here because of, of how you just went through the history of the Celtics very eloquently. You are a, a teacher uh, of the youth and you do understand how to look at things critically. Do you think that the, the Boston Celtics having a white mascot is, I don't want to say racist, but do you think that that's a problem? It won a race. It won a race. We got all these seventeen championships. No, yeah, right. Listen, well, listen. This is our city, and not to stay with David Ortiz. This is our city. This is our team. But once again, Sean, I, I got to go back to Sean King because his ass is—he's he, he just dumb. This, this is our, this is our team too, Sean King. Just because I'm black doesn't mean I don't I identify with the Celtics. If there's anybody on the show that identify with the Celtics, it's me more than anybody else. Like I, I love the Celtics more than any other Boston team, hands down, and ain't even close. The the, re- the reason I ask is because if you look at the, the reason why teams are named what they are, right? And we could do a whole show on mascots and why teams are named, right? But if you, I mean, if you look at the Boston Celtics, the, it's an Irish. Dave would know better than me, but it's from Ireland, and the majority the mascots of more Irish insulting people, to Irish people than it is to fucking black people. Sure. <laughs> no, absolutely <laughs> right. So if I was going to speak on it at all. <laughs> Yeah, I will say this though. I will say this in more practical terms, like whatever about the fucking mascot. You know, nobody in Boston is going to listen to people talk about the fucking mascot, but it's a good point to bring up because I am actually kind of glad we didn't hire a white coach. Only because, like, just if I was working in the in the PR department at the Boston Celtics, I'd be like, look, Jalen Brown, very active in his community, you know, very vocal about his feelings about you know police brutality, you know, very very open and and speaks very. Um, intelligently on the subject and like has become kind of a, a an icon in the activist community as far as like basketball players go. He says, I would like basically in no uncertain terms, I would like a black man coaching the Boston Celtics. Also, Kyrie says that shit about Boston. We know why he says it as much as you or I know that it's not true because Ray makes the very good point that in inside the Celtics organization has never proved to be in any way racist or biased against black players agreed, but it's very easy in like the public eye to draw a parallel from the city of Boston to the Boston Celtics to say, and say, it sucks. It sucks that it's playing there because people are racist and you and I and Joe and Bobby who are Celtics fans go like, here's the billion reasons why that's stupid. But the vast majority of NBA fans are going to go like, Oh yeah, I think Boston is kind of racist. And then just forget about it and not think about it anymore. Cause you only need to make points in tiny 180 character. Tweets. They've never been outside their four walls. They're going to talk about a city. Fine, they've never been fine. in. That, that's, 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 that's ridiculous. All, that's, all, that's, that's all fine. That's, that's a joke. I understand so that it's not, that it's not right, but it's the case. So it's, it is what it is that people are like that. That's just like how fucking people are. I, I know that they're wrong, but it, it, there's a reason Kyrie said it because he can draw that parallel. He can affect that similarity in people's minds that aren't going to give it as much thought as, as you and I would. Right. So I, for me, I was like, just for optics, I think you should give, get, go get the best man for the job or woman for the job. Of course. Like, yes, no problem. But just on the optics so- side, I was like, please don't bring. A fucking white guy to be under the white, under the white GM, to uh, under the white GM with the shit that's being talked about in the media right now. 
with the mascot shit some people might bring up, like it's just not a good look. That's all. I'm- so so Bob Dave mentioned and and this is Dave mentioned Brown, like Jalen Brown. If he goes to management and says, "Hey, I really like a black coach," there there are reports that have come out in the Boston media and nationwide that the the Boston Celtics players who are predominantly black, the roster is a majority of them are black, have said that they did not connect with Brad Stevens. They didn't connect with the Midwestern white guy. What a surprise! So that they they would be more comfortable with a black head coach. So they went out and did that. Now, Dave, to, to go off your point about talking about the best person for the job, uh, the only white person on the list of people that were the best, quote unquote, for the job was Becky Hammond. So I, I think that either way, they were going to go out and get Becky Hammond, Carol Lawson, Sam Cassell, Ime Adoka. Uh, Chauncey Billups. That's what they were going to go and do. And maybe he isn't the best guy for the job, but we don't know that. We won't find out. But because they think he is, they hired him. They have right, exactly. And that's what matters most, right? And he's a pop disciple, which we all love. So, Bobby, what are your thoughts on Ime Udoka? Thank you. So, I I just think he is the best man for the job. Like when you look through his coaching experience, like it. I know that they valued head coaching experience, but I don't think it was just head coaching experience they valued. I think they valued just straight coaching experience and being able to connect to these players to a point where, listen, this dude was on was hired by Brooklyn. Steve Nash went to Brooklyn and within the first two days of being there, brought this dude in because he's like, I want a Doka to connect with Durant, with Harden, with Kyrie, and, and just brought a different atmosphere to that team. So I love this hire, especially because of the fact, I have to point out, he was in Philly for one goddamn season, and then was like, you know what, guys? I need to get the fuck <laughs> out of here and, and bounce. So to me, that that just sounds like a smart basketball man to me because he saw the dumpster fire before it happened, left them to go to this Brooklyn team, barring injury, we're, we're walking to the NBA final. So it's just, it's such a good hire to me. And, and I think too, what he brought, the level of playmaking we saw from KD this year, I think that's something that we're going to look at with Tatum moving forward. And I think Udoka is a guy to bring him there. So Ime Udoka hired as the new Boston Celtics head coach. And as Bobby just alluded to the team that he came from were the Brooklyn Nets and I agree with you, Bobby. I think that he's going to get the best out of Jason Tatum. I honestly think he's going to get the best out of everybody because as Ray and and Dave, we all really said it during the season, Brad style doesn't get the best out of each individual player. Brad style was a very uh, team oriented style and you couldn't really let those guys fall out as much as they should be allowed to. And you're probably going to get that with Udoka's style because he did come from Brooklyn and he has come from playing and coaching in San Antonio. But that team that he just came from, the Brooklyn Nets, are out of the playoffs. I called it. I just I have to throw it out on 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 the podcast. I called it. I said that Kyrie would get hurt and the Nets would be out. Now, granted, I had them finishing out of the playoffs oh, no. in the regular you season. Said, you, I was said, right. you said Kyrie would fuck up the chemistry. That's not what happened. No, I, but I said he would get hurt. I did say that. How do you, I, I, how do you predict that? <laughs> he rolled his ankle. Because he always gets hurt. What do you mean? He rolled his ankle. It's- is he injury prone now? Uh, no. Joe, so, is, I don't think so. I don't think he's injury prone. I just think mm. it, it just it happens. So anyway, 
Hey, so, that, lower, right. that lower body, man, it's just it's breaking down. 2015, he, he gets hurt in game one, right? And then, you know, he comes here to Boston, plays 50 some odd games, you know, has and see, you know, has knee surgery to end his season here in Boston. Early in his career, you know, hurts his face, you know, he has to wear a mask, breaks his wrist in, in Cleveland. Like he's had injuries all over. It's like you're playing operations with this man. Like it's, it's ridiculous. So he's definitely injury prone. Now, was he motivated? Sure. He was definitely motivated. And a motivated Kyrie was a scary Kyrie because him and KD looked really good together. And I think if those two guys were healthy, then it, it definitely would have been a different outcome. But like I said, Milwaukee at the end of the day did just enough. Kevin Durant had a masterful series, a couple of masterful performances that we'll never forget. I was super super hurt to see Jeff Green play like this because I'm like, well, damn, where the hell was this when you was in Boston? Now, I granted, I know, yeah, game. you know, no, but still, but I mean, but it is, yeah, but I mean, still, but the one game was ph- phenomenal and it's one more wanted what he did here in Boston in the playoffs. So, you know, I was hurt. I was hurt to see that, honestly, but yeah, man, I mean, listen, man, M- Milwaukee just survived, you know, and that's what it was. And, you know, yeah, you centimeters away from losing that series, like less. Oh, yeah. Less. Yeah, I mean, yeah, literally, if his shoe size different, then, you know, who, who who knows what would have happened. But if the eight-year-old that made the shoe used, like, a slight right, right. piece of rubber <laughs> that right. day, you know. Oh, uh, yes, Dave, Dave alluding to the sweatshops in China, yes. And Indonesia, other places, Joe, not just in, Indonesia, probably, Taiwan, probably whatever. Vietnam, too. Yeah, Vietnam. Yeah, yeah, you know, so. so now, all right, <laughs> so <laughs> before before we go off on, on that tandem, because we, we could all have our, our opinions on that nonsense, too. And I say nonsense. Roundly neg- negative opinions on that. I, 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 feel like, I feel like that nonsense. Listen, there's two sides to the child labor <laughs> argument, guys. Okay. <laughs> no, I mean, we're all going to be. I'm just saying companies are like people. The bottom line is the bottom line. You know what I mean? Like, Jesus, that's the clip right there. Mike was here. I think Mike might take that side just to see if he could. Oh God, he absolutely would. But let's yeah, bring us back. (laughs) New segment on the show out of context. God, all right. Oh my God. So, is it is them getting bounced from the playoffs because they were played by injuries? Do they have deeper issues? Does and then you know does Harden's injuries explain his numbers? So three questions for you there. I have to speak up on Harden. Listen, I was the first man to trash him from day one. I I, I did not want him here. I didn't want anything to do. The slack that he caught for his Game 7 performance to me is unfair. I know it wasn't the best performance ever. But listen, this dude was playing on one leg. And he was playing significant minutes on one leg. And when you look at people like, oh, well, then he shouldn't have played. What the hell else did they have? He didn't have a choice. When you look at what that team actually had. After losing Dinwiddie, they had no bench. And but when I say no bench, I mean they legitimately did not score a bench point in that game seven. Isn't that isn't that a fact? Not one bench point. So like, who else are you gonna put in this dude's situation? You're gonna put Joe Harris, who cut his three pointing percentage from fifty to twenty two in the playoffs. I just didn't see a significant upgrade over even a five for seventeen. James Harden was going to give you better minutes than the Joe Harris we saw in those last two games or the Jeff Green we saw in those last two games. It just, I, I just thought like, listen, yes, the dude's not a hundred percent. He's definitely not the James Harden that we saw earlier. And yes, it does bring back parallels to him blowing those Houston series. 
but to me, it just had a, such a different feel. Right, Ray, I know the look on your face. Me, no, you, you, you just went against your own point at the end there. You just said it brought it brings up what he did in Houston. Five for 17 is something he would have did anyways. He, he's done he's done this when it's mattered. And yes, now I, I gave him credit. The game five was a very gussy performance. For him to play 42 minutes, you know, coming back basically cold turkey, and he, he only had five points, six assists, and like eight rebounds. Like that, that to me, his game five performance was much better than the game seven, right? Because I feel like to play 42 right away was, was just crazy. 22, nine and nine is not awful. But once again, when you're two and 12 from three, and then you're five or 17 from the field overall, that is a problem. And you and once again, this is on Steve Nash, right? We, we had we had a huge argument about Steve Nash early on, on, on the show that, you know, we also put that back in the show notes as well. But, um, th- he was handpicked, but Steve Nash got exposed. Wouldn't matter, y'all. Steve Nash got exposed. You you cannot play I don't, guys. I don't 40... agree with any of this. I'm sorry. It's, okay. It's... I, I mean, well, I'm, I'm, I wasn't finished with the point though. But it's like this is the thing. He played. He, you can't play 42 minutes, 48 and 53. You got to spot guys minutes. So Mike James, who they signed late in the year, Mike James has been hooping for them. Came up, coming over from Europe. You're not telling me he can't give you eight to ten minutes, even if he doesn't score. But just to give guys a break where they could come back in the fourth and then okay. do something like Mike James, Tyler Johnson. There's guys on the deck that gave them five to seven minutes. I'm not saying you have to come in there and hold the lead and go at 15, because that wasn't happening. Joe Harris, yeah, Joe Harris was like Larry Bird against us. I get it. He faded away, you know, quicker than midnight on on in the second round. I get that. However, you have to find minutes to rest, guys. You cannot play guys 48, 49, 50 minutes and then. Expect them to still have gas when it matters. That's not happening. So once you again, think it's Kate, more on hard. He's more on Nash than hard. Yeah, it's, it's on Nash. But even with hard, like once again, we've seen five or seventeen. Whether he's been healthy or not, that's all I'm saying. Once again, he, he's been great. He's been great since he got to Brooklyn, and I, I won't shy away from that because I'm the one that said he should have been here. Me and Dave agreed on that. But this is this is something we've seen. So this this is not something where it's like, oh my god, I can't believe that that type of performance happened because we saw it happen. So many mitigating circumstances, though. It's like Jared Allen goes down at the start of the season, so that like fucks up your depth. Well, they trade him. Yeah, but he they traded him because he was going to be fucking done, right? Like he got a bad injury, didn't he? I thought he well, whatever, it doesn't matter. Jared Aaron Allen goes, right? I think that screws up your depth. Steve Nash comes in and he goes like, okay, I need, I'm probably going to get a year to to make these to you know get these three guys playing well, and he does it in like three months. He has them fucking cooking as like the best offense in the entire NBA in like three months, and like we gave rightly gave him credit for it. How does it make sense that? Kyrie Irving, your star point guard goes down and James Harden playing on, is playing on one leg. How is that all of a sudden Steve Nash's fault? They had nobody. They had nobody to play. <laughs> like, what else was he supposed to do? Like, what would you have done instead? I, I mean, I just said it. Like, you, you have to give guys eight to ten minutes. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm not going to run guys into the ground and just say, well, damn, well, we, well, we didn't they, have a they choice. They said the whole thing about the Harden injury was that he needed to play on it because it gets really tight. That was the whole thing. They were like, you got to give that injury more minutes. If he's going to play, he might as well play 40 minutes. That's what all the health science guys were saying. So, so 40 minutes, 40 minutes. Okay. The man played 53 in the final one, 53. Well, yeah, but it, it, it's not his fault. They went into overtime. I mean, no, no, but, but I'm saying you can, you not, don't tell me you can't give this man one or two and you give him the heating pad on the side. They, they got, stuff. come on, man. These guys are, yeah. So let's, come on, Steve man. Nash. Steve Nash is like, I was a great player. So now I look at this guy. He's like, I would have played. 
Right. So, yes, yes. I'm glad you went there, Dave, because I, I agree with you on that point there. Steve Nash was still coaching like a player, and that's what cost him. You can't be out there, well, hey, you just got you just got, you just got to be a warrior. I don't know if he was coaching. I don't know if that's player, what cost right. him, because we just talked about how he was a half a centimeter away from burying it. KD was putting on a fucking historic You cannot run guys into the ground, fellas. Y'all know this. I'm not, I don't even know why y'all going against me on this. Like, you cannot run guys into the ground. That's what happened. You have to rest guys. You can't do that. I'm in basketball. You can't do that. I'm sorry. I'm going against you putting the responsibility of the Brooklyn Nets losing on Steve Nash when we just went through talking about how we we were a centimeter away from KD hitting a ludicrous circus shot, turnaround three-pointer. We're a centimeter away from him sending a team that on paper at that point should be beating the shit out of them, that have fucking Giannis and fucking all all these other pieces all 100% healthy. And... They should be winning on paper, and they almost got him out. How is that Steve Nash's fault? I don't understand. He played, he coached a great offense all season. Who said that Harden was running to the ground? No, I'm saying Harden mainly Kevin Durant, not Harden. I'm saying mainly KD. You needed KD to step up. You need no, 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 no. I know. I, I'm, I'm not disputing that. But what I'm saying is, it, there's a difference between the shot that he hit to tie the game in 109, right? And then when when and that overtime shot, he was gassed as hell. Right or wrong? Yeah, that was that okay. Was so that's what I'm saying. Yeah. You, you can't you game you plan. Have, you can't game plan thinking you're going to go into OT. That's ridiculous. You can't go well. What if we go to OT? No, it's, it's before the. It's before then. It's before then, guys. It's not about what happened after. It's revisionist history. You have to find. You're the one who brought up what happened after. <laughs> no, I'm, no, but I'm saying that because he got gas is what I'm saying. You're not listening to me. <laughs> if you sit him for eight to hang on, if you sit him for six to eight minutes, let's say six to eight minutes, not even that. Long. Not, not even that long. If you give him four to six minutes. Two to three minutes, fine. What happens in those two to three minutes that turns that game around? That Milwaukee wasn't scoring, though, no, Joe. They wasn't but scoring. Maybe they, but but maybe that was because Durant was on the floor. I mean, he he wasn't defending. Not not at that point. I I I I, I agree. With, I agree with you. No, I agree with you, Joe. No, but I mean, they only scored one basket. Remember, they only scored once. They was going back and forth. Wait, Milwaukee or Brooklyn? I I can't remember who scored, but go ahead, go ahead, Joe. We're, you, we are talking about revisionist history. In Dave's defense, you did bring it up. But that's the point. That's all we can do is talk about revisionist history because it is in the past, and the Bucks won the series, and they've moved on. No, but so, I'm, I'm like that regardless, though. It's, it's get, you got to give guys rest. That, that's where I'm at. It's not about revisionist history. Regardless, you got to give guys rest. I'm not running guys into the ground. It doesn't matter who it is. One last revisionist history. That last shot, man, I know. I, I know KD is a freaking nature. I know. But that shot, man, was the most mind-boggling KD shot no, I've the, ever seen. The play seen. broke down. It's I fair. know. I know. But listen, play breaks down. KD, you're the best at the rim I've ever seen. Just I, hit that exact same shot. I, I mean. know. I But you're down You're down two. Yep. You are down two and there is no time left on the court. No, but I, I don't, I don't, I don't have an issue with that shot. Because at that oh, moment, man, you, you, if, you, have, if, you have to end the game. You have to end the game. Tatum, I get it. If Tatum puts that shot, I, I maybe, maybe oh, they, that they, was they, the, they would, they would have cussed him out on the. Shot. We all what are you fucking been doing, Tatum? He's not Kevin Durant yet. He's not. Kevin Durant earned the right to shoot Bobby, that shot. All right, so here, here we go. So we're going to do this. It doesn't matter who you are in sports. The biggest thing about it is that they're everybody. If you're basically what I'm hearing there, Bobby, is you think that that was a bad shot selection. It's a bad yeah. shot, right? It, it should have so been was a the one selection. that sent them to OT, though. And Ronald Acuna Jr. for the Atlanta Braves the other night forgot that there was one out and got doubled off of first base. on a Oh, yeah, I saw that. Yikes. Yeah. When he thought yeah. Was, so, I mean, we're talking about athletes that are at the top of their game that are in a high pressure situation. And we all talked about how KD was kind of the guy, right? He had to stand, step up because Kyrie was out. 
So I absolutely agree with Ray that he was gassed. And that's why that shot looked down the way that it is. But I just don't think you can go like, I don't think you can go like, oh, I better sit Kevin Durant for a few minutes. And like, give but, up no, but like Joe thing. said though, Joe said two to three. I'm no six to eight minutes. That's a joke. That's what, hell no. I ain't doing that. But two, two, just two to three. Where it's like, okay, I'm gonna give him thirty seconds. There was here. like no minutes. There was like no minutes in that whole series after Kyrie went down. There was like no minutes in that whole series after Kyrie went down where KD wasn't the most productive player on the floor. There was not one single minute that passed where he played where he was not the most fucking productive player on the floor. So you can't bench him. You just can't. Not in crunch time. So I I felt like that in game five. I felt like that in game five. Like I'm like, yo, he he has to play because Milwaukee was up 16. Like he's just you were even play. saying like, oh, oh, we're going OT. Fucking Brooklyn's got this. That no, Brooklyn, no, no, yeah, no, for, no, for for sure. I'm, I'm that's in game seven. I'm saying game five. I agree with you. Like game five, they needed Nash. They all saw it. he needed it. Fine, 47, 49, 17 to 10. I'm with you. I'm just saying in that in that game seven when you know you, you're gonna have to you have to find stuff. You have to find stuff. Here's what I was thinking they should have done if he was going to rest them at all. He should have fucking benched everybody for game six from the start and not let them on the fucking floor. Got them an extra fucking day. That that series was going to seven. And I thought it and Bobby said it. It was like a thing. Just everybody gets rest. Everybody gets rest. And then they win game seven hands down. They would have won by 20, yeah. <laughs> they would have won by 20 points. Facts. They should have put, put up 50 Hell threes yeah. in game six. 50 <laughs> threes in game six. We're like, listen, if we hit our threes, we win. Run. If not, Facts. nobody wins. Facts. 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 play that game that we used to play in gym class where you can only take two steps and then you can throw it. <laughs> That's how we're playing basketball for all of game six. Nobody run. So now that the Brooklyn Nets are out of the playoffs, the NBA – the the NBA semifinals, the Bucks and Hawks and the Clippers and Suns, but three of the best players in the NBA, arguably the three best players in the NBA, James Harden, uh, Kyrie Irving, and Kevin Durant are now out. What does that do for the NBA in your mind, Dave? All y'all fucking green teamers with your fucking anti-Kyrie chants. And I was trying to tell you that the playoffs would suck if the fucking Nets got bounced out. Ray, I don't include you in this, but everybody else, everybody's like, fuck Kyrie. Nets need to lose. And the playoffs in the East are shit now. That fucking, the Bucks hawks series is not interesting because you know the Bucks are going to lose because they like basically got lucky in the last series. I mean, I guess the Trey Young stuff is interesting. Like, it's cool that he's better than we all thought. And he's like pretty much elite now if he can keep it up. But maybe the Bucks are just not that good. I don't know. I'm just saying we lost three stars in the playoffs. That sucks. That sucks. I know everyone hates Kyrie, but like it makes the playoffs worse. I, I I have a counterpoint to that is that the Atlanta Hawks are one of the funnest basketball teams I've maybe ever. They're watched. playing the Bucks, dude. I just watched a whole series with the Bucks. They're so miserable. And ever since McMillan took that team over, though, that team is just so fun, man. And and, and to see Trey Young, DK, you said it in the chat earlier. It really is shades of early Curry, man. That's what he looks like when he's confident in shooting like he is. How cool would it have been to see him play Durant and Kyrie and Harden though? Uh, well, facts. That's true. That would have been amazing. All right. That's true. But to see a dude, like regardless of who he's playing, to see a dude evolve from the scorer on a bad team who puts up points because he has to, to I'm going to put this team on my goddamn back and shimmy in your face before, before I hit a big time three. Is just man, it's basketball porn to me. I love watching Trey Young play. I've loved him since Oklahoma. Uh, I picked them to go to the Final Four. He disappointed the shit out of me. So like, I've always had this mantra of like Trey Young, man, he's great, but like he can't do it when when it matters. But 
that last game, man, it was special to watch. I love watching. Yeah, he he was great. He was great. I'm, I'm a fan. You know, I have a joke with my friend Brandon. We we have him part of our. We have a new death row, and we have we have Trey Young as a part of that. Trey Young is phenomenal. He, he he was special last night. He's been special all playoffs. I'm not in that line of like, oh, just because LeBron and other guys are out there. I'm like, oh my god, the playoffs are ruined. No way. This it's parity being shown. It's not an automatic victory because uh, nothing in the NBA is absolute. Um, the only year that's been like that is when the when Durant first went to Golden State, and everyone knew that Golden State was winning. Other than that, it's not a guarantee that you're going to win a championship just because you're healthy. I, I just, I, I can't get with that. I don't agree with that, I should say. I love what Trey Young's doing. I love what Devin Booker's doing. Chris Paul's, I believe, is coming back tonight for game three. So that, I'm excited to see that. And like I said, Phoenix is a great story. You know, the Clippers being down 0-2 in every round, like, like they are now. Can they make a comeback? I want to see if they can, right? So there's still other storylines there. And, you know, I mean, as far as Nate McMillan goes, we talked about him once again, early on in the podcast too, right? You know, about coaches getting raw deals, right? And he was someone that got a raw deal in Indiana, right? Now, I know Joe's going to bring up the Carlisle thing in a minute, but, you know, McMillan was doing his thing in Indiana. That was perennial four or five seasons in the East, you know? So I'm just like, it goes from that that he goes there, you know, they remove Lloyd Pierce. Well, thank God, even though he's a brother, I'm glad they didn't hire Lloyd Pierce. Like, I might have, like, I, I, <laughs> oh my, I, I don't even want to say what I was about to say, but I, I, I it would have been, I would have had a nice rant on Twitter if they had hired Lloyd Pierce. The only Pierce we acknowledge is Paul Pierce. And I, I'm sorry, that, that's just that I have to say about that. But yeah, there's still plenty of storylines left in this playoffs. And I've been entertained to say the least. And I'm excited to yeah. see what this, what this, what this. Uh, that was going to be my point is that you still have Trey Young, you still have Giannis, you mm-hmm. still have Paul George, Chris Paul. It's kind of, it's kind of Paul Devin George. Booker. I, but yeah, but, but oh, it's a, George it's a, stinks. Steve, it, it, he does stink, <laughs> but it's a fun storyline because he was so fucking sucks. Did you see those free throws the other night? He's a fucking. I, 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 I can't. I can't believe he missed that though. I can't believe that. Oh, I can't. Like, he, 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 no, he had just. He just hit a big shot. He just had a big shot, and then he I'm like, damn. Game. That's the thing about Paul George is he'll have like a decent game, and then he'll like fuck it up hilariously. <laughs> but, that, but that's what. But that's what's fun about what the four teams left. I know I want him to. I agree with you, Joe. I want him to stay in the playoffs because I love when Paul George is in the playoffs because you get so many funny jokes happen when Paul George plays playoff games. It's hilarious. So going going with that narrative and how Dave talks about the Bucks, we know that Dave thinks that the Hawks and the Suns are going to meet in the NBA finals. Bobby and uh, Ray, who do you think uh, is going to the finals? Uh, Hawks and the Suns. That's that's what I want. That's one hundred percent the series I want to see. Um, Yeah. Let's just see point guards play against each other. Like, but, bro, I love fucking point guards. You know, I love point guards. Yeah, but we, you get in trouble when you fuck point guards, though, Bobby. So I know you love fucking point guards, but you got to stop. Well, you know, it's a good, it's a good thing to do. <laughs> and no, but and like, Ray Sean. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, I obviously I think Phoenix is going to the finals, and I think that I, I, it's going to be Milwaukee and Phoenix. I just felt like that's what's going to happen. The NBA needs Giannis to get there. Like, it's not mm-hmm. Trey's time yet. Like Giannis is 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 the guy. He's back to back MVPs. You know he's 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 the guy they need to see in this. Did spot. he diminish a little bit in your eyes watching him play with Durant on the same court seven games in a row? A, a little because it was just like I mean I like Damn. how he I, I like how I like, I like how he responded though in game six or seven. Now it's Middleton that's been pissing me off because Middleton. You know, you know, to get paid the money he gets paid, it's and I'm like, he 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 at all. At, at all, but he constantly comes up small playing next to Giannis. It's like, bro, if you gave 25 a night like you can, Milwaukee would moonwalk to the finals. Oh my God, they would moonwalk. The the they would moonwalk to the finals, but they don't he because you know, he doesn't Giannis play well. The reason why he has that contract. Right, but you know, it, it shouldn't have been 178, Joe. I'd have given him maybe one. It doesn't matter, Ray. How do you think? 
how do you think the Milwaukee Bucks are going to keep Giannis Antetokounmpo in Milwaukee? They're going to pay whoever he wants to pay, and they're going to keep his brother on the. No, but he's but he's not the normal. He's not the new day star the way people think. Like I think that he's someone that would have signed in Milwaukee regardless. As, as he did, he resigned. And once again, most people are not walking from two hundred forty-seven million dollars. Like let's make that clear. I wouldn't walk from two hundred and forty-seven dollars. Yeah. <laughs> right. You feel me? So that that's what it is. So that's what it really is. First and foremost. And then once again, him and Yana, I think him and Middleton came in. No, no, Middleton got drafted the year before. So I mean, they essentially grew up together in the league. I get it. But I mean, I I, and I get it. People are not moonwalking and coming to my uh, to Miami to Milwaukee. Well, they ain't moonwalking to Miami either. But they ain't moonwalking to to Milwaukee either. Um, the only person they moonwalking to see up there is Aaron Rodgers. You know, we all know how that situation is going up there. But yeah, man. I don't know. But yeah, 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 yeah. Giannis definitely Giannis definitely took a step back. I agree with you, DK. So wait, I have a question about Giannis though. So Middleton to me, I, I, I don't know if it's just me. I, I feel like he's not the right player to play with Giannis. I feel like Giannis needs a sharpshooter. And, and if Giannis had a guy who was shooting 50% from three, like a Joe Harris or like a not Joe Harris is a bad example. He, he was he was there though he was there in Milwaukee that's the funny so but I'm just saying like if if there was like you know what I mean I don't really want to say a Steph Curry but like a Trey Young as his sidekick or like someone who shot like that I feel like it would be so much better than Chris Middleton I can't think of someone off the top of my I head. mean we, we we saw it in the All Star game that's why him, that's why he plays, he keeps playing with Steph he wants to go there I just don't think a slasher is the right guy to play with Giannis because no, Giannis already he, is a slasher in his own quick. regard yeah, he's you not know what super I mean quick in and out like he's not super quick in yeah. and out like Kevin Durant can be. Where well, he's like uses. That I mean, no, no one, no one's Kevin Durant, but I mean, <laughs> I understand. But I, it's like it's that's the kind of guy that can play with anybody. Like you need to. I, I see Bobby's point. If we're talking shit about the Milwaukee Bucks, though, the abortion of fucking basketball that was PJ Tucker running around for for seven games against the fucking Brooklyn Nets, like. I it, it was like I was taking fucking crazy. Pills. Oh, there's so wake up every day. I would wake up, dude. I would wake up every day the next day to the media being like, "That PJ Tucker, huh? Gutsy performance against Kevin Durant." I'd be like, "He put up two points, and Kevin Durant hung like forty nine on him. Like, what the fuck are you talking about? Like PJ Tucker, what, he looked like exactly, exactly like I would look if I was playing a professional basketball game in the NBA. Just like I'm a keep up." I'm gonna keep up, <laughs> but you, you know, no, but I, 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 the, the reason why people are saying that, and, and I agree why they said it was a gutsy. See, this is my thing, right? And this is back to Giannis, right? Giannis, if you are the defensive player of the year, right, you gotta be on Kevin Durant, even. Even if it's even if it's barbecue chicken alert all day, which is gonna be, it's gonna be barbecue chicken. He's gonna be on the grill. You know, you get some of that sweet baby ray sauce on there. You're I just, get it. You're, you, you got you got to guard it. You know that Kevin Durant <laughs> is a fucking cookie every single day. <laughs> right, not, right, not a sponsor, but hey, man, Delicious. listen, you, 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 it is. It's great. It's phenomenal. But hey, you, you, you got you got you got to guard that man. I'm sorry, you got to. You got uh, to. I I wanted to be the Bucks and the Suns because I think Phoenix against Milwaukee just has NBA like uh, record breaking uh, um, numbers, TV numbers written all over it. Plus, the Bucks have Andover, <laughs> Massachusetts own. I, I like to drop him in any show I can. Pat Connaughton, yeah, uh, for, former Notre Dame Fighting Irishman. Yeah, we want to get. Hey, uh, the the message has been sent, but. You know, so now that we've we've talked about the NBA and I, I we're un, unfortunately not going to get to the 76ers part, Dave. I think we're going to we're going to put that off till the next show. Unsurprised. 
I mean, you wrote the whole write-up, so you, you did a good job. We've gotten I, I, to just I about figured, everything. I figured that we wouldn't get to it. It's fine. But one of the one of the biggest things uh, that's been going on in sports is uh, the defensive lineman from the Las Vegas Raiders, Carl Nassib. We're totally switching gears from the NBA here. Carl Nassib of, of the Vegas Raiders came out as gay, offered support from teammates and coaches and different personnel from around the sports world, different the, the outpouring of support for Carl Nassib has been amazing. And just, I, I, since we won't play the video on the podcast, I do want to read the transcript of what he said. I loved this video. I loved his message. And it was kind of funny how he started it. He's like, hey, just wanted to take a moment to say I'm gay. And it was just like, it was so casual the way he said it. So it starts off, I just wanted to take a moment to say I'm gay. I just think that representation and visibility is so important. I actually hope that videos like this one day are not necessary. But until then, I'm going to do my best and my part to cultivate a culture that's accepting and that's compassionate. Then he added that he would be donating $100,000 to the Trevor Project, a nonprofit a group that focuses on suicide prevention efforts among lesbian, gay, bisexual, trans, transgender, queer, and questioning youth. And he said, sadly, I've agonized over this moment for the last 15 years, something that no one should have to to deal with. And, and I loved the line that he said, and and a lot of people don't say a lot of celebrities don't say this when they do come out is that I hope videos and announcements like this don't have to be made in the future and that it's just accepted and it doesn't matter who you are uh, sexually, uh, but who you are as a person. And for someone to have to agonize over that for 15 years is something that shouldn't be happening. So guys, what does this mean for the league? Carl Nassib, do we think He'll face hate speech from other players, from coaches, from fans. What do we think is going to happen? I mean, I think I think it's I think it's a, generationally. I think that the NFL's grown up a lot. I think the kids that are playing in the NFL now, like you know, they're younger than us, and I feel like we were a pretty like accepting generation for the most part. Like maybe that's part, maybe that's just bias where we grew up. But I feel like. It was never an issue for me, for like my friends to like, you know, interact with gay people or lesbians or whatever, and, or like play sports with them. So I would think the kids now, like they're even younger than us, like they're in their early 20s and like they've had the Internet and iPads the entire time. And they know not to be like dumb bigots for no reason. I hope for the most part, I would say the ones that probably do have a problem with it at this point. I mean, I don't have the numbers, but I would say it's probably in the vast minority. And I think, I think I was just surprised it was football, to be honest with you. I I think that like the sort of culture around football was the last sport I was expecting to like have the first openly gay active player, you know, to just be the first one. I think it's, if I'm a Goodell, I think it's great PR to be honest with you, because like usually you get the opposite kind of PR from the National Football League, you know, the whole stuff with Colin Kaepernick and like every idiot in every stadium being like, boo, that's our country or whatever dumb shit they were doing about like him taking a knee and completely missing the point. Ah, but I, yeah, I, I hope not. Jesus, I fucking hope nobody like says any horrific hate speech to him. Like just play the damn game. So not to mince words, but this is one thing that's been going on and I've seen all over social media, whether it's uh, Twitter or whatever, is that all, oh, how's he the first gay player in the NFL? Michael Sam. Not. There's well, definitely been tons of them. <laughs> well, so first of all, first of all, when we talk about Michael Sam, he never made a, a roster. Secondly, Carl Nassib has been in the NFL since 2016 when he played with the Cleveland Browns for two seasons, then spent two years with the Tampa Bay and uh, is it then played last year and, and is with the Las Vegas Raiders at this point. This guy is an All-American Lombardi Award winner, Ted Hendricks 
Athletics Award winner, Big Ten Defensive Player of the Year in 2015, first team All Big Ten. Like, he's a dude, and he's a great football player. And he plays his position well and was a big part of a good Cleveland Browns defense back in the years of 2016, 2017. So that to, to mince those words real quick. And and Dave, as you were saying about the generation, it's funny. And then also saying about he's definitely not the first one. When this announcement came out from Carl Nassib, Warren Moon took to Twitter and was like, I play with guys that were gay and were just afraid to say anything because of the nature of the game of football, because of the masculine masculinity of the game of, of American football. And yeah, I'm kind of surprised too, but at the same time, I'm not because it, it, we kind of saw it coming, right? Like not from him, but I mean like with Michael Sam and we've heard other players kind of with rumbling. So for Warren Moon to come out and say it, and Warren Moon is is pretty big in the NFL in a lot of NFL circles. So that was great to hear from somebody that's such a great player. Yeah. And, and to speak more about the generational thing, I really do think that's a big piece of this too, because I don't know about you guys, but whenever I had a friend come out to me growing up, it was always just kind of like, well, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I knew. <laughs> Thanks for letting me know. <laughs> right. We, we've we known that for a long time, dude. And it's like, come on, man. Like, it's not something I, I feel like it is getting to a point where it's like, it's not something you even have to bring up anymore. And, and, and that is where I do think we're heading. And, and Nassim said it the best where it's like, dude, we really don't even need like you coming out. Yes, it's a great story. I love it. And I'm happy that, you know, he has that off his chest. The world knows about it now. But like, in no way does that change who he is as a person, who he is as a football player, or anything like that. And, and, and I do think that, like, going through comments on Facebook, yes, there was a lot of shitty ones. There always is. <laughs> but, but, like, Don't do that eight, to yourself. <laughs> 70 to 80% of them were, like, very positive. Like, not even, like, a who, a who cares in a bad way, but, like, who cares? You know what I mean? Like, who cares? You're a good football player go keep playing football. And I just thought it's such a cool transition to see because 10 years ago, this dude comes out, bro. It would have been, it would have been a whole different world. So we, we've evolved a lot recently to the point where like, this isn't even a big deal anymore. Something I've always said is that at the end of the day, these guys are doing a job. If you're getting played to play a professional sport, you're doing a job. And I have worked with work with people who are not straight. And at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. Right. Do your job. If you can do your job, I don't care what you do. Yeah, listen, I have so some of my best friends don't even identify with a gender. And it's like, that's completely, it does not change who you are as a person at all. It just because, you know what I mean? It doesn't change it at all. So. Bobby identifies as a Dallas Cowboys fan. Like that's. Which is. That's how you know it's not a choice. Exactly. <laughs> that's a really good way to know that it's not a choice. That's how you're born that way. That was something we wanted to to bring up on the show here and, and kind of bring light to of Carl Nassib, first active NFL player to come out as gay in a video that I, I just loved the video. It was just so casual. And I know for him that wasn't casual. Like But that, that was that's I think was part of the theme of what he was saying too, where he was like, Hey, this is what it is. Like <laughs> hopefully it can be the norm to just be like, I'm gay. And it's like not really a big deal. Plus it's Pride Month. So I just thought it was cool to be like. Like, yeah, celebrate, you know, LGBTQ people, but also if you're a dick to him for coming out during Pride Month, it like adds to it. It's like you're even being an even bigger dick now, dude. Yeah. It's like you're hurting everyone now. Like, don't be an asshole. Yeah. And you at know, the end of the day, cool. 
Yeah, no, it's really cool. And at the end of the day, we all have bigger things in our own lives to worry about what someone else does with their own. So good for Carl Nassim. And yeah, we shouldn't have to say this, but like, don't hate gay people. <laughs> yeah, I know. Please. Just, don't hate anybody. I just hate that. Like, Bobby, and I know we're kind of going to social I fucking media hate PJ here. Tucker, man. I don't know. That's fine. I, I really I hate, hate him. Dennis Wyman. <laughs> Kyrie Irving lives in my head. It's fine, guys. It happens. You can dislike people, but like, I, I don't dislike PJ Tucker. John Gruden. I don't well, John Gruden. He was, not, he was nice about the whole thing, too, actually. He said some nice things. I'll give him credit on that. Yeah, well, he's getting a lot of support and from the coaching staff and the team and, and everyone around the league and the sports world. So, And if people have a problem with it, that's their own problem. And then he's just going to go out and do his job and be good at it because he is good at it. So do your job. Well, guys, that'll do it uh, for Missing the Point. We talked a lot of basketball, brought up Carl Nassib and his announcement to the sports world. And I think we can all say, you know, Ime Udoka, welcome to Boston. We're excited to see what happens. Welcome back, Al Horford and uh, Moses Brown. Welcome to Boston as well. Welcome back, Anna Horford. Don't forget. Oh, yeah. Anna Horford. Definitely Anna Horford. At one point, DK did call Moses Brown Moses Malone. And I, I, fu- I fucking wish Moses Malone was back in Boston. I thought Ray was going to call him out on it. But anyway, for Ray Sean Buchanan, Dave Clark, Bob Kelly, I am. Let Joe my Huffy. people go. We appreciate you <laughs> joining us on Missing the Point. We'll talk to you next time. Electric acid. Welcome to the Candle Power Hour. Come with us backstage behind the scenes of show business spanning over four decades and bringing you the experiences that can only be told by the people who were there. Our guests are from the A-list, the F-list, and everyone in between. Get set for some of the most insane, hilarious, and inspiring stories you will ever hear. I'm Mercury. And I'm Diego. Your host for the The Candle Candle Power Power Hour. I'm DC. I host the Rock Podcast. Back to the arena, the interviews. It's about a 30-minute podcast where I talk one-on-one with a band who has released new music. You can find us on all the best podcast sites like Spotify, Apple, Google, iHeartRadio, and more. If you're a rock band like me, subscribe today to Back to the Arena, the interviews. Electric Acid. Electric Acid.